You're listening to Clearing the Haze, episode number 81, FMCSA Clearinghouse Workshop with Jan Horman. Keeping today's workplace drug-free should not be confusing. This is the Clearing the Haze podcast, giving you the tools you need to most effectively address drug and alcohol use and decreased productivity in the workplace while investing in your positive company image. Now, here's your host, Chuck Marting. The failure to give appropriate and timely feedback the most extreme cruelty that we can inflict on any human being. Charles Conright, Management Consultant. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Clearing the Haze. I'm your host, Chuck Marting. And this week we have our guest with us, Jan Corman of uh, Core Management Services, and we're going to be talking about the FMCSA Clearinghouse Reasonable Suspicion Workplace Drug Impairment and Recognition Workshop that's going to take place up in Rapid City, South Dakota. And uh, welcome, Jan. To the good day. Podcast. Good good day. How are you today, Tom? I think I'm doing okay. Good. Okay, well that's good. So I'm doing a lot better. Oh, um, all right. Wonderful. So I, I need to let everybody <laughs> know that the uh, workshop's going to take place September 23rd up in Rapid City, South Dakota. And uh, we've got some cool stuff going on with this. We've got um, our guest speaker is going to be, is it John Marshall? John Marshall, yes. FMCSA, yes. she's going to be doing the Drug and Alcohol Clearinghouse, which, and she's the project manager. So, I mean, that in and of itself is is worth coming to just because we're going to be able to get some updates. She's going to be able to answer your questions. Um, and that's to me is uh, one of the bigger uh, things that people have questions on right now is the clearinghouse, even as long as we've had it in place. And what amazes me is we still have people that don't know what the clearinghouse is. Right. Right. There's, there's people out there that, and if they had the commercial driver's license and they're part of a, a drug and alcohol program, which they have to be, they have to register at least their company. So it's really interesting to me, like you said, Chuck, that there's people out there that aren't registered. January will be the third year. Yeah. So we really, it's kind of like, what's wrong with this picture? Because they have to do it. Um and it's it's amazing how we talked about this for years, and all of a sudden it came place. And the number of truck drivers out there right now, I'm sorry to say, that have not passed their drug test or alcohol test, that they're getting their names put into the clearinghouse for that violation. And some of them are not going back to trucking. So uh, it's not that hard. That's what I, I would really emphasize to the companies to say you need to tell people that, you know, if you're looking for truck drivers, which is a loss right now, um, you you need to offer them that treatment plan. Let them go and see a substance abuse prof- professional and get it taken care of and get back out on the road. Uh, that's what the whole goal was, because we're talking about safety here. We want to be have it safe on our roads. So, Well, Jan, why don't you uh, give just a little bit of background uh, about yourself? I mean, I you and I have been friends for years now, and um, I I love and respect you. And I know that you have had such an impact on this industry with all the things that you do. Um, but just because I know you doesn't mean that everybody knows you. So that's right. You want to if you want to <laughs> just do a short introduction before we get started, that'd be great. Okay, thank you, Chuck. Um, yes, as you said, we've been uh, friends for a long time here because this industry has been. It's a really close knit into industry, as far as I'm concerned. Everybody knows everybody. Um, 
But I have been in the business since the beginning of drug and alcohol testing back in the late 80s, 1986, when President Reagan was in office. And um, he definitely said that the people in the federal government had to create that drug and alcohol program. So back then, I was actually working uh, with what was called NISAT Laboratory, turned into Quest Laboratory. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was at the beginning of the forefront helping companies set up their policies um, making sure that they followed 49 CFR Part 41, it became a rule. Um, it was it's interesting to me was the fact how slow things moved at, at first, but they did. It, that's just the way it is. They had to make the rules, the regulations. They had to figure out what drugs we could test for. And back in the 80s, then it really mushroomed in because what did we have? We had a major accident on a truck on a yep. railroad rail, railroad for the drug testing where they'd smoke marijuana before they took off. Really? And then for the alcohol testing, we had the Amtrak accident. Mm-hmm. And so those are the reasons why we're here because it's for safety and stuff. So I've been, I've been professing that for years. I was in occupational medicine. And then when we moved out here to South Dakota, I ended up um, setting up my own business and continuing on as a consultant and, help people with their training. So I, I sell the breath alcoholic equipment from LifeLock Technologies, train on that. So I'm, I'm pretty busy, busy training people. But I'm, my part on the 23rd of September is going to be the reasonable suspicion. And that's going to definitely tie into your your part with the impairment recognition check. So I, I'm really getting excited to, to do this for people. And we need to tell everybody, we're not just, you don't have to come to Rapid City. We also have the option that you can uh, watch and come by zoom so that's that's a plus for a lot of people that can't travel right now yet because we still have some people that say i'm not traveling i'm not traveling you know and that's fine the the thing is is that um there's no excuse for us to be able to not offer something like that especially as important as these topics are right now um i i don't know about you on your end but i know here in our office with stacy it's a weekly occurrence with the clearinghouse where she is having to help people get into the clearinghouse. I mean, I, I think she does anywhere from five or more a week. And I, right. like we were talking about earlier, I am just amazed with it being on what three years now that we just said that people still have no clue what the clearinghouse right. or how many of them right. think that it's just something, a conspiracy to get money from right. that. Is what right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's the way it comes across to a lot of them, and it's kind of amazing to me that that's that's the problem why they don't even look into it. I mean, what do we have? We've got the media out there not saying that, that we don't have enough truck drivers and we don't have enough of this and that kind of thing. And it, so here we are. This is maybe why why they're not doing it is because they're hearing the negative side of it. And this is really a, if we stop and think about it, it is a positive thing in our industry to have this available for us because what happened years ago i the background on it was the people would have to request from former employers their dry their records for any violations in the drug and alcohol program mm-hmm. well they weren't getting them for number one and number two the person would go and, and have your drug test one place, come up positive, go down to the street and go to it someplace else to work, haven't had a negative one at that time. So it it really does emphasize the fact by the thousands that have come up with violations, what's going on. And everybody, it's not just marijuana. <laughs> we Right now, if you listen to the statistics and stuff, cocaine is really big in the, in the trucking industry right now again. So 
that's why I, I guess having Gian there to talk about all of the things that are going on in the clearinghouse, and I know that they've changed things since the beginning. So yeah. if you went to the class for the first time, it's it's some of the stuff has changed. I'm having a hard time keeping it up, and I, I take care of school bus drivers. They fall under the uh, as a commercial driver's license too, and that is a real hard topic because they they manage their schools. They don't manage the drug and alcohol program. So they're help, hoping that the whoever the third party administrator is, that they're going to be able to do that for them. And basically, as a third party administrator in the clearinghouse, we really can't even register them. They have to go in and they have to register. We can help them. Mm-hmm. But um, it's kind of like I'm on the computer on one side and they're on their computer on the other. And uh, because it is secure. Yeah. And, and I think that's what people are afraid of, that, you know, they if they sign up to this, they're going to get more information. The government is getting more information on their company and on them, the drivers. And and that's not really the case. It's really safe for them because uh, I can't go in and look up anybody's results, just anybody, unless they're in my program. And I think they, they need to understand that it's there for their protection. And, and I'm sure you remember this. Um, when we were at our first uh, executive board meeting for Endesa, that uh, Stacy and I had a client that had a um, driver get into an accident. And uh, this was before the clearinghouse started. And um, he got hit by, with a train. And yeah. uh, we nearly lost uh, his trainer that was with him. Um, but what was amazing to me, that individual was under the influence he had drugs in his system and um ultimately that individual was let go from that company but then i had the owner of that company come in a week later later just furious that this guy was driving for another company already right and they had never called him to verify uh, employment or anything and of course he's wanting to call that company and and tell him this uh-huh. you need to talk to your attorney first because you get yourself <laughs> into some legal issues there so we have stories like that. We have things that we can share with our uh, clients to help them understand that, yeah, you know what, this might be an inconvenience right now, but you need to look at the bigger picture of what this is, that the that the government, if if you want to say the government, is is looking out for you in a way to ensure that those type of things don't happen. You run your clearance. If this person comes up in the clearinghouse then you know whether or not they're eligible to be hired. You right. know whether or not you're going to take on that responsibility if they're under a you know, return to duty, if you're going to continue doing that and, and allow this person to come to you. But at least it's not like the ostrich with their head in the sand. You're fully yeah. aware of what's going, what's coming in. And, and, right. and I think that with them starting with the FMCSA, I think it's only a matter of time, Jan, before we see the other modes start taking this on. I think they're kind of sitting back and seeing how this is going with FMCSA. Right. I think they're going to end up doing the same thing. Right, right. And and that that's the thing too, Chuck. The FMCSA training uh, that Gian does, it she goes step by step through it. So it's if you're a TPA or if you're a truck driver or you're a trucking company, she has the differentiation between the two, the three, whatever whatever you're doing. And so it it opens it up to the fact of that employee, that driver, that commercial driver's license holder. When we do pre-employment queries on them, because she'll go through the query system, which is checking to see if the person has a violation or not, uh, the pre-employment one, we can't just go on and put their name and get the result without that driver saying it's okay. Mm-hmm. And so 
I think that was kind of a false thing that was going out there for a while too. The drivers didn't realize that, oh, I have to give the okay for this. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's a good good part of it. But I I don't know. I, I three years, we've got statistics now in three years. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people out there using drugs. Yeah, it's scary. It's real scary, especially with all the things that we've seen in the in the uh, press and, and uh, news media that it, it's just not marijuana that people are going to have to start worrying about. Now you have a big push for uh, some psychedelic drugs to be legalized for PTSD right. treatment and pain management. So right. um, you think you have problems with marijuana right now, buckle up your seatbelt because it's right. gonna be really rough. Yeah. Um, well, and I just read an article this morning that I got over email because I'm, I get things all the time doing reasonable suspicion. You want to keep up on stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it was on on the mushrooms and how now the mushrooms they're saying helps people with alcoholism. <laughs> One thing to another, right? Uh, I mean, it's just, I, I hear your joke. I hear you laughing, Chuck. So I know what you're thinking, but um People don't realize that if you cover, take one drug to cover up for another drug, what, what are you doing here? It's manifesting the whole problem. That polydrug so effect, yeah. yeah. Well, we, we talked a, bit, a little bit about the FMC, FMCSA clearinghouse mm-hmm. and how that's going to be uh, an important part of this conference or this, this, uh, um, this seminar that we're having that day. Um, Jan, talk a little bit about um, the reasonable suspicion. And um, your thoughts on that and why it's important for uh, individuals that are in that leadership position to be uh, going through a reasonable suspicion class. Well, with with the things that are out there as far as people are using as drugs, sometimes the the behavior of the person, that's what you're going to be watching is the behavior to see how they react to things, how they move, how they respond to you, that kind of stuff. So. In the reasonable suspicion, we are pinpointing how people can actually watch their employees to better make it safe in their company. So if you've got somebody stumbling, you've got somebody that's blurred eyes, you've got somebody that smells of a skunk, <laughs> you know, there, there's there's things out there that, that will trigger and tell you, oh, yeah, that's one of the drugs that they could be taking. The other thing with with reasonable suspicion training, I always tell people that you need to think about it. It's are they impaired or not? And that's what what are you seeing at the impairment? So your your class will join in with this and and have them be able to see this. But um the total process when we talk about reasonable suspicion, it can be the comp- company official, it can be the employee that's involved, it can be a collector that's doing the collection. It can be the laboratory that's involved with us and testing the samples. So it involves a lot of people in this whole realm of things. So when you come to the reasonable suspicion training, it's not just for one group of people. It's for a variety of number of people when you think about it. Because I, as a collector, and I do urine drug collections and breath alcohol collections, just by having that reasonable suspicion background and knowing what we're seeing, hearing, and smelling, you can kind of pick up on someone, can't you, Chuck? And you being a former cop, you know other ways of doing it. But that's what we go through with reasonable suspicion. You know, what drugs can can we actually test for? And when we actually do see someone that might be having a drug or alcohol problem, is it a drug we're testing for? And what do you do after it if it comes up negative? I, that, I think, is the, 
a biggest scare for a lot of companies. And there's some people that don't want to do reasonable suspicion because what if it doesn't come up positive? Not always do they do because we're not testing for all those drugs that people could be using. So that's got to be a part of this whole training when we think about it. Well, I, I think you bring up a very important aspect of this. And that is this, this program isn't so much a gotcha type of right. thing. Okay. Um, our number one priority is, is the safety within that workplace and also protecting the employer. Okay. And I, I think that one of the things that you're seeing in the marijuana industry specifically is that they're pushing to try and get rid of drug testing in the workplace. And one of the things that they're saying is that they want it so that you as an employer are not drug testing somebody specifically for marijuana unless you can show that they're impaired. Okay. Correct. Correct. Now they're saying there's no impairment tests out there. There's nothing like that. And to an extent they're correct. However, the skills and the things that you're teaching in that class is going to help individuals find out if they do see impairment with somebody so that they're able to document that reasonable suspicion right. form and then get the test done. So there are things that that we can do to help people recognize impairment in the workplace. Now, it comes up, well, what about random tests? Well, the thing is with the random tests is obviously there weren't any signs and symptoms of impairment or you would have picked up on them. Correct. That's the periodic check to make sure that they're not using. Okay. And that could be because of they're doing it on their on, on, on their off time and now coming to work. And the only time you're going to find out about it is right then. Or you have employers that uh, maybe in their drug testing policy, they're not covering prescription drugs. And so they don't find out that this person's even taking prescription drugs until they come in for that random and they bring in their bottles and go, well, just in case this is what I'm taking. Yeah. And then you see the warning on the side that says you shouldn't be operating a motor vehicle or equipment or any of that other stuff. And the employer had no clue. That's right. Yeah, that That's always scary for that employer at that point. What do they do? I get calls on that one quite a bit. I had one just this last week. I The guy had knee replacement. They put him on oxycodone. And their medical doctor that he was seeing would not okay him to go back to work. And so I'm going, well, then you're going to have to go see whoever's giving you that medical exam to begin with because they know the rules and regulations. So it's 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 crazy that the people don't even understand what they're going to be tested for. So yeah. when they added the oxycodone, oxymorphine, hydrocodone, and hydromorphine, that was the big thing is people, that's what they've been given for pain when they have surgeries or a back issue or whatever it is. So how, how does the employer respond to that? You know, first off, do they have it in their policy? So they need to know their policy if they can even be notified they've been taking those medications. So it gets really Harry, there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to train for people that don't understand it. So, well, I, I think this part comes in really important because um, right now, um, every if you don't think your employees don't understand the drugs that you're not going to be testing for, you're 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 kidding yourself. Okay? Correct. So, yeah. one of those examples is fentanyl. We're not mm -hmm. testing for fentanyl, nope. and these guys know that. And mm -hmm. so the things that you're going to be teaching that reasonable suspicion class on things to look for, so they get that test, they send it in, and it comes back negative, but they know that they had impairment to their reasonable suspicion. Um, what do they do at that point if they suspect maybe it's fentanyl? What do you think they, they would? Uh, then, the, then I 
recommend, because I come from the occupational medicine background, um, I would recommend that they go and see an occupational medicine doctor for a fitness for duty or a doctor that knows the business, not just their family doctor, but the fitness for duty is very critical. Mm -hmm. And most, most of the times the doctors, they, the patient, it's a patient doctor relationship. Then at that point, they feel they are a patient. They'll talk to the doctor and tell them what they're doing. It's amazing to me how they just spill their guts on what they're using, you know, but they do. And when the doctor does recognize that that is a safety concern, they should not allow them to go back to work until they they figured out what they're going to do with that person. It's, yeah, right. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to see a substance abuse professional. That only happens if it's a positive for the illicit drugs we're testing for. So that kind of goes into the metal, medical background then with the person and kind of is a separate issue. Well, and that also brings up a good point, Jan, that, that in your policies, you should have an EAP. Correct. This is a perfect opportunity to get them the same type of services they would get with an SAP, but through an EAP. Mm-hmm. And what a lot of people don't understand is it's not only for that individual, but it also can help their family as well mm-hmm. in dealing with this. Well, well, we know drug and alcohol addiction and problems, that doesn't just affect them. It doesn't affect just the company. It does reach out into their family and out into the community. So uh, that's when we we got together for National Drug and Alcohol Screening Association. That's why we bring in all of those type of uh, situations into the play. And I I, I would say even the training that we're doing there on the 23rd is not just for people that are uh, under FMCSA. If there's companies out there that have a drug and alcohol program, Iowa, in Iowa, you have to have reasonable suspicion training at least once a year. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a good thing that the people keep up with the behaviors. Because when we're talking about reasonable suspicion, what we're looking for is specific, contemporaneous, articulable observations. Things that you actually see. Their appearance, their behavior, their speech, their body odors, how they come across to you. Uh, so you need to learn how to recognize that and how to document it. And it should be in the outreach as far as if you've got a manufacturing company where they're driving forklifts or doing cranes or something, and you've got a drug and alcohol program, wouldn't we want to know what those signs and symptoms might be? You know, And like you said, if it's maybe they're taking an opioid that we're not even testing, the fentanyl, and who knows, there's probably another one on the market we haven't even heard of because they come in day and, day and night, different uh, things out there. But they need to be able to respond to that and i think how do you when you're doing the impairment training it's always interesting to me because i've watched them once i've been to one class but i'm I'm looking and so excited to watch yours um chuck that day too because how how would you describe somebody just one one instance what do they look at i mean i always talk about the eyes but you probably get into it in more detail yeah, I was going to say, let's talk about the other, because I think we've given them enough sneak peek of your class right. to understand yeah. Yeah. and what they're going to be coming into. But uh, I agree with you with uh, the workplace impairment that we're going a little bit deeper than you would go into with the reasonable suspicion. This is the stuff that um, is going to give you a little more than what you're getting in that class as far as looking for impairment uh, and giving you some tools that you can do. And one of the, the most perfect things you, you really hit on it was the eyes. I, I teach a lot about the pupils in that class. 
Um, because, you know, when you're when you're interviewing somebody for reasonable suspicion and you're talking to them, if they're avoiding eye contact with you, there's a reason for that. They know. OK, sure, sure. Uh, they know that they're under the influence. They know that certain drugs are going to cause their eyes to to uh, dilate. And they know that there are certain drugs that are going to cause them to constrict and that it's noticeable. Um, that was one of the issues we had when I was a, a police officer is when you had undercover guys. Uh, going in to do narcotic deals and stuff like that. One of the things that the drug dealers would do is look at their eyes because if their eyes weren't dilated, they knew they were lying. Okay. Mm-hmm. You're not taking this drug. Your eyes aren't even doing anything. So we ended up having to send officers to go and get contact lenses or eye drops to make their eyes dilate, things like that, because it was one of those signs oh. and symptoms of impairment. Um, you know, you get into that, you get into some things like, Time and distance, you get into the internal clock of somebody is going to be significantly slowed down or sped up with some of these drugs. Um, one of the things with marijuana, because of such high THC levels that we're seeing, I mean, you're talking some of this product is 100% THC. Oof. Blows my mind. Me too. <laughs> where, where you before had people say, well, you can't overdose with marijuana. And, and to an extent, they were kind of right, but we weren't seeing the levels of THC that we are now. And so it's totally changed that game. I know here in the state of Colorado, we've had five deaths deaths that have been contributed to marijuana overdose. And so people are like still shaking their head going, yeah, well, that can't happen. Oh well, yeah, it can. Well, hasn't it changed too to the, the fact that, you know, way back in the seventies and people are using the marijuana heavy and strong or the sixties. It mm-hmm. wasn't as strong, and it would just make them relaxed, well, right? When I was and out, now it can do the opposite. <laughs> yeah, when I was out on the street, I the if you got eight percent THC levels, that was that was pretty high, you know. Um, yeah. you're talking just in the stuff they're smoking, seventy to eighty percent THC levels, and all the other things at a hundred. Um, it uh, does. I have I have friends that are out there still doing what I used to do as a drug recognition expert. They're saying they're calling uh, two drug categories or three with with people only to have it come back that the only thing they were taking was marijuana, you know, and and they're thinking methamphetamine and marijuana and all it was was marijuana. So um, we also talk about in that class is being able to um, talk to people, because a lot of times I think what we do is we get nervous um, we kind of get uncomfortable because we know we're going to have to talk to somebody and it's going to be, uncomfortable. Yeah. you know, you don't want to be confrontational with them. So they don't know exactly how to approach talking to somebody. Um, it's kind of like the synthetic urine that we get, you know, nine times out of 10, I give these people, they give me what they brought into the bathroom. Sure. Not that I'm doing any tricks with them. I'm talking to them and, and we need to be able to listen. Um, I think that's another thing that we need to do is just slow everything down. Listen to what these guys are saying, because half the time they'll tell you things that they don't even realize that they're telling you. <laughs> are you OK? Yeah, I'm OK. I'm a little intoxicated, but I'm OK. Well, what do they just tell you? <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> you know? Oh, my. <laughs> um, yeah. The other thing is, is, you know, I'm not teaching things like, you know, having them walk a straight line or anything like that. But I can teach you to have somebody close their eyes and estimate 30 seconds for you. Okay. And you're not going to have people doing their blood pressure, taking their temperature or any of that fun stuff. That's These are simple things. I'm not turning, I'm not making you a drug recognition expert by any means, but some of those things that we use in that program 
are very significant for helping you to determine whether somebody may be under the influence yeah. of drugs. But you just don't base it on one thing, Jan. You're not going to base it just on your eyes are dilated, right. so you're high. Okay. Yeah, that, right. You don't want to do that. No. Um, it, it's kind of like, you know, it's the totality of everything that you're seeing. So you need to be able to have all those things. But I think with you doing the reasonable suspicion and then they come in, I'm able to add to what they just had with you to give them a little bit more of a surety that when they go in and they see something, yeah, this is impairment because this is what I was taught. This is what I've seen. This is what we know. Um, and then you're confirming that with that drug test. And uh, I, I've told several, I just got done teaching a whole bunch of reasonable suspicion this week. And, and I told these guys, cause they were really concerned about, well, what if they get away with this? It doesn't come up on the, on the DOT test. And I said, well, you need to understand that you go back to your policy, your policy, you have a non DOT drug testing policy under that policy. You can test for extended drugs. You know, if you're thinking medications, if you're thinking, sure. then you do it under that policy. But if that comes back positive, you can't report that to DOT. <laughs> right. That, and that, that yeah, yeah, but you can take action within your company. If you have what you're EAP, in the policy, what to do. Right. Yeah. EAP, yeah. So you're doing the same right. thing. Right. Um, but it's it's helping you as um, a, a collector, a DER, or an employer understand that you do have the ability to have a safe workplace. It's just in how you look at it and not being scared. That's very cool. And a lot of times, I don't know, in your reasonable suspicion training that you did, Chuck, but do you always ask them, have you ever done a reasonable suspicion? And the ones that have never done one, just they just sit there with their eyes big, bold. They don't understand. what. But it helps to have the other person that has done one to try to smooth it through and say, you know, it, it really isn't that bad. When you, when you go at the idea that you're helping the person. Mm-hmm. I think that's a positive too. I mean, just like you say, you've got to listen, but you also have to have some care and compassion without being too caring. You know, there, there's a fine line with that too. But um, yeah. That's funny you say that because I see a lot of people that think that they have to be um, something that they've seen on CSI or something like yeah. that. <laughs> Talking to people. And, yeah. and, I, and I, I've often told my own collectors, I said, look, if if I come in here and I start talking to you like that, you're going to shut down. You're not going to tell me anything. Mm-hmm. But if I come in like a concerned parent or a concerned friend and you approach it in that aspect of it, I mean, I, I'm not, look, I'm not wanting to be friends with this person and go out and have dinner with them afterwards. Okay. Right. right. I can at least be respectful enough with them at that time to do what I'm asked to do. And that is to help this mm-hmm. employer ensure that he's got a person that's going to be safe to be in their workplace. Yeah. Yeah, And so it, it doesn't, it, you can ask, the big thing is to learn how to ask open-ended questions and that's how you get your answer. And so yeah. I think a lot of what we're teaching in this, in this block of instruction with everybody, when you get there, you're going to hear that throughout the day is communication is probably the biggest tool uh, that Jan and I are going to be able to give you mm-hmm. in following the process. If you're following the process, if you're doing what 49 CFR tells you, and then there's nothing to be scared about. And, you know, yep. Can somebody get mad? Sure. Anybody can get mad. I can have a collector get mm-hmm. mad at somebody mm-hmm. too. And I got to deal with it. But, you know, if, if we go into it with that mindset of, you know, I'm not here to hurt anybody. I, I mean, we've all had the person sit there and say, because of you, I'm going to lose my job. Okay. Oh yeah. And, and I've looked at those people and I've, and I've looked at them and I've said, you know what? 
I didn't hire and I'm not, I'm not in charge of firing you either. I said, I don't have anything to do with the discipline. I'm just doing your drug test. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's ways of talking to people and letting them yeah. know, Hey, look, I'm, yeah. this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is, this is not a Jan rule. This is not a general. That's my favorite thing. This is not a general. We have to follow the steps, you know. If you have these things posted as well, you're able to use that as a reference. Hey, look, this is what I'm going by. Mm -hmm. So, guys, this is the the type of thing that um, you're going to miss if you're not able to go uh, to Rapid City for the for the seminar that we're having that day. Um, But remember, we do have this available on Zoom. And we're going to be able to broadcast that to you because this is this is important stuff. And I'm telling you right now, there are going to be some takeaways that people are going to have that are going to change the way they're doing business and how they're doing their collections. Okay, I can mm-hmm. guarantee it right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know what are your thoughts, Jan. Yep, exactly, exactly. And it, Chuck, who are all the kind? I always think this is interesting when you do reasonable suspicion. Who are the people that come to the classes? And your your impairment recognition. Oh, usually the supervisors, and then you have some DERs that come up occasionally. You'll get a DER. Okay. Um, usually, it's your supervisors. Supervisors, managers of the people, then more or less. Yeah. Yeah, that's me too. And and that yeah. and we're not we're not saying that those are the only people we're inviting. Targeting, to. right? You can have a, the owner of a company. I think it's just as vital, and I and I'm sure you've done the same thing. I've told owners of the mm-hmm. company. Not only should you be sending your supervisor, but you should probably be in there as well. Well, even when I do the the schools, I I tell people, you know, we want the bus driver manager, but we also need to have whoever's doing their clearinghouse, which sometimes is the secretary in the office. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it does boil down to a lot. And they're seeing these employees just as well. So sometimes it's good to have more than just one person trained in your company. So I always want to bring that out to the fact that maybe you need to Really stop and think about who needs to listen to this and hear the hear the words words. So um, September twenty third is rock and roll, and it's going to be here before we know it, right? It is, and I'm excited to do it with you, and uh, I'm grateful for this opportunity. But before we go, I just want to acknowledge you for a minute, Jan, and, and let everybody know just the contributions that you've made to our industry over the years of service that you've had, and then also being a leader in Indesa. Um, there's been times where, um, because of that training, that experience that you've had, um, where you've been able to bring clarification to a lot of things that people may have been, uh, misunderstanding and they didn't understand, but you're able to clarify that. And I think being that individual to be able to be a reference for a lot of things is, is crucial, especially with what we do. So I just want to thank you for, Everything you're doing for organizing this as well and um, let you know that it is it is needed, wanted, and, and very important. So thank you. Thank uh, you for that. The other thing I want to do is I and I know you listen to the podcast once in a while, so this shouldn't come as a shock to you. But I, you know, I think that learning and growing and constantly improving yourself is is a must when you're not only a business owner, but a leader uh, in your community. Um so I know that you you do read and, and you do keep up on a lot of things like you talked about on some articles earlier. So it, when you and I, we go out to lunch, what is that one book you're going to look at me and say, Chuck, if you have not read this, you need to read this. Is oh, Chuck, I know you always ask that question, but I'm truthfully, I'm, I'm more of a Netflix movie person. <laughs> and so I always think you got to listen to Dan Schneider's. Okay. Um, 
thing on, and it, it's excellent. It's on Netflix, and it's pharmacist. Yes. Yeah. It's excellent. That that would be what I would suggest anybody that's in this to really see where the opioid epidemic, where he was at. Mm-hmm. How bad it was, and as a as a pharmacist, what actually happened in his his community after his son was killed? I mean, that to me is is an excellent one. I also have back in in my office here all the time is the smoke screen. Yeah, that's sure. the other. That's the other one. I pro- those two probably I would say. Yes, that wasn't a hard question. You know. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. But I didn't even think about it before we got on here today. So well, that's just it. sometimes as sometimes as leaders, we don't even. Um, realize that we're doing that kind of stuff because we've always done it to improve right, ourselves. Right. Well, I read. I read every morning. I sit for the first hour on my, and I've got the uh, I've got the paper articles coming to me. Anything to do with drug and alcohol, I get. You know, I'm I'm reading it every day. It's like I'm saturating myself. Which is that okay? Probably for me it is. For somebody else, maybe that's too overkill. But that's how I start my day. My cool. cup of coffee and. Phone in hand, in hand and listen to all the articles and things that have happened in our industry. That's right. But that's why people call and talk to you because you're continually learning about that stuff. And that's what's that's true. And that's yes. what you need to understand. So sure. thank you for being here today. I'm yep. looking forward to seeing you up in Rapid City and seeing all those that are listening to the podcast. If you're able to go to see you there or see you on Zoom, um, I think it's going to be well worth your time in it would be a great investment in you and in your company to be able to do this. So um, we look forward to seeing you September 23rd in Rapid City, South Dakota. I'm sure that if you're uh, needing any questions to be answered, you can, as always, contact me or you can contact Jan and we'll do our best to try and answer those questions and help you so that you can be up there and and get some great training uh, at a really great price. So with that, Jan, thank you for being on the podcast. Did you want to have the registration for them to go ahead look and, up? Yeah, okay. I didn't mention that. I'm sorry. Okay. That's that. all right. That's okay. Um, you can find it because National Drug and Alcohol Screening Association, Impairment Detection Age Academy, and Core Management Services is putting this and sponsoring this on. We're having the registration through my website. So it's coremanagementservices.com slash upcoming dash courses. So it's K-O-R-M-A-N-A-G-E-M-E-N-T-S-E-R-D-I-C-E-S for coremanagementservices.com. And then just put a slash and write in upcoming dash courses. And, and all the all the information will be there in the registration. Yeah, and I'll put a, a link in the show notes that will have that. And then also your contact information, Jan, and mine as Correct. well. That's good. We'll be able to get it taken care of. So we look forward to seeing you in Rapid City. Until next week, have a great week. See you soon. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Clearing the Haze. All the show notes are included in this. They have all the links for the workshop and contact information for both Jan and myself. But until next week, until we bring you another episode of Clearing the Haze, remember, it's your vision, it's your dream, and it's your business. Take care. Mm -hmm.